thank you. Uh, not, not merely strictly speaking, but at all, because I'm a total imposter on this conference because I don't have a PhD at all. Um, I do have the pr pleasure to manage three people who have PhDs, but uh, they don't take that too personally. Um, I did my first degree in theology, and I really enjoyed it, but I uh, also found it quite frustrating. I found the... Uh, whilst it was absolutely fascinating, I was left wondering, particularly in the faculty I was in, what is actually the outcome of this? The stuff I was interested in, the kind of public theology bit, it didn't seem like we ever got to that part, and so I decided I was going to leave that. I thought um, I'd love a career in policy. Um, I thought, and my wife likes to joke, I'm the only person who's managed to make themselves less employable after a theology degree because I became an EU policy expert immediately after a theology degree, just in time for the referendum. Um, but I went and did my MSc in European politics, and then I worked for um, just over a year in various internships and part-time project roles for a range of think tanks and political intelligence agencies in London and Brussels. Uh, and I found that quite frustrating too because that had the opposite problem which was that nobody wanted to talk to me about any of the big ideas. We were stuck right in the minutiae of the policy implications of everything. Um, and so I found myself stuck between these two poles and I was very, very fortunate that I ended up uh, almost exactly six years ago at Theos which is sort of in the middle. Um, it's a think tank and I'll come back to how I define that but it's it's trying to bridge that gap. Uh, so we work on issues of religion and society. That's quite unusual for think tanks, but nevertheless, that's what we do. Um, we have a broad Christian basis, but that's not really what we're about. The ideal that we're doing is we're trying to provide research, we're trying to do events, and we're trying to do comment about creating a better conversation, one in which religion is treated seriously, but more importantly, where we have a public square in which all sectors of decision-making, policy, economics, uh, everything, is infused with bigger ideas and um, with ethical, philosophical, theological principles so that we're not just always talking about uh, the small details at the end about how we get things over the line. Uh, and so with that in mind, our key audience is not politicians. And that's often a misunderstanding of, of many think tanks. It's certainly the key audience of some. It's not ours. Uh, we're not particularly concerned with politicians for the very simple reason that they come and go. Um, and that by the time that most debates have reached Parliament, it's far too late to have a conversation about the big underpinning principles and ethics by which you've come to that position. You're already then at the implications of a decision which has already been made. So our key audience are what I like to call the people who tell other people what to think. Um, my boss has the term cultural influencers. I think mine's better. Uh, but that's essentially a, a kind of nebulous pool of people which includes public intellectuals, includes other think tanks, it includes um, academia to a point in some places, column writers, journalists, uh, essentially anyone who's got the capacity to shape the conversation. They're the people uh, that we're after. I started at Theos uh, as an intern. I was originally there for one month. Then I was there for a six-month research assistant contract, and I was on a one-year researcher contract, then I was on another one-year researcher contract before they eventually made uh, me permanent. So if you think that uh, maybe think tanks are a way to get a little bit more permanence versus academia, you're totally out of luck. Uh, about a year ago, I became head of research. And what that means is that I manage the research team. At the moment, that's one senior researcher, four researchers, two research assistants, interns. Um, it means I'm responsible for identifying our research projects. That's the most fun part of my job, is I get to pick what we do work on. Uh, I'm then responsible for getting those funded and staffed, which is rather more difficult than having fun ideas about what you want to research. It means I'm responsible for all the outputs, the quality control for everything that we publish and um, goes through me. It means I do some of my own research, though rather less than I did uh, as a researcher. I have a book coming out in October, do buy it. 
Um, otherwise, I'm doing some pieces around social cohesion at the moment. That's the kind of limit of my, of my primary research. Most importantly, I, I do media work, but I also, most importantly, am responsible for helping to set the strategic direction of the organisation, for identifying who we want to talk to and how we're going to do it. And that's the kind of key to my role. Um, but to give you an idea of what uh, being a researcher in a think tank is like, as a range in my previous role, so over about uh, five years... I edited one book. I was the primary researcher for six projects and the author of six different reports. I worked on three others where I was not the primary researcher. I wrote chapters in six books, one academic paper, four political briefings, and roughly one blog or media piece every three weeks. Um, we expect people to move quickly and to get through projects at uh, quite a rapid rate. Um, the longest project Theos has ever done is three years. Uh, and that is a massive outlier. Most of our projects are one year from receiving the funding to completion. Um, so that's one initial big difference between, I guess, our culture and the majority of academic culture. That's my kind of uh, background. I want to tell you a bit about uh, how I see think tanks and the kind of difference from other forms of research and some of the challenges that we face. Um, there are lots of definitions of think tanks. None of them are terribly adequate, the reason being that uh, there's no copyright on it. Anyone can call themselves a think tank regardless of what they're doing, and people do. So the range of people, what actually people deliver within that tag is pretty enormous. Uh, my rough definition is that we are influencer organisations. Our primary purpose is to influence a key defined audience to shape them towards a particular vision. might be political, might be values-based, might be around um, a particular ethical question, but it's, it's an influencing game. And almost all do that, particularly through commissioning and producing research and comment pieces. Those are the two kind of core bits that we do. Um, that research, and I'll go on to say more about this, it, it's our credibility, but also I think the key is, it, it links on from what Alex was saying, but we're a bit further down that line in that our research really is a means to an end. Um, and we see it purely in those terms. Uh, the end is not the research, it's about the influence that we can put onto a particular audience. That means that it's, it's research with a defined purpose. It can, if you like, be research with an agenda, and I think I'd own that. I think most think tanks would be fairly open to say they have an agenda, and that's what they're trying to do. The huge challenge for all think tanks, as uh, influencer organisations, is how you get people to change their minds, because um, that's what we're about. That's the, the end goal of everything we're doing, is changing someone's mind, and that's very difficult to measure for a start. It's very difficult to prove that you were the key catalyst in someone changing their mind. Um, and it's also worth saying that as a process, changing someone's mind is far more difficult than anyone gives it credit for. Uh, I think we like to assume that we're all reasonable, rational folks, and given sufficient evidence, we'd probably change our mind fairly easily, and that is uh, simply not true. And I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you're the worst at it. <laughs> Um, the more highly educated you are, the more that actually becomes really difficult. And we can back this up with, uh, with the research. So there's a number of studies which have been done on this recently. So on political values, um, any newspaper will tell you that we're getting more tribal, and that's true by all sorts of measures, particularly in the States, but also in the UK and Europe. Uh, that's not particularly new. The interesting thing, or as far as I'm concerned, the interesting thing is that's a negative tribalism. People are not more attached to their own side, they're just more opposed to the other one. Um, so if you're a, a Democrat in the States, you're far more likely to be disillusioned with your own party than you've been at any point in the past 40 years. But you're also more likely to hate the Republican Party. Um, so that level of disillusionment, uh, the interesting thing there is that 
gets more and more the case the more educated people are. And the more educated the person that they surveyed, the more tribally opposed they were to people of the opposite political viewpoint. So that's one problem. Uh, worse still, the better educated and more numerate you are, according to another study, the harder you're going to find it to actually change your view, even when presented with evidence. And so one fascinating study, they gave people two sets, control group and another group, a set of data. They told the first group it was about whether a drug helped or hindered a particular condition, and the more numerate people got the right answer, and no problem. Same data, they told another group that it was about gun control. Uh, and the results split not by numeracy levels, but by pre-political bias. And in fact, the more numerate you were, the more able you were to twist the data to, to come to the position you already wanted to find. So for us as a research organization, as a think tank, that's, uh, that's a problem. Um, because we're all about trying to change people's minds. If people don't change their minds because you produce research, well, then that seems like quite an existential challenge for a think tank. Uh, and the way round it is through a much greater focus on relationships and comms than in the academic sense. I mean, this is, this is coming in academia, and I see that because, apart from anything else, we have far more collaborations of academic institutions than we did. And even in the six years I've been at Theos, first two years I never saw an academic. No, no one wanted to sully themselves by talking to think tanks. Um, I now have to beat them away with a broom because so many academics want to collaborate with think tanks because that is part of their impact assessment, it's part of their public profile. And um, so that has changed. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the difference there, I think, is that we're a bit further down that line. So not only is our research shorter term, it's necessarily not of such a high research standard because you've got to get it out faster. Politicians can't wait for a 10-year longitudinal study. They need a yes or no answer right now, so you have to provide one. It's not as good as if you've done a 10-year longitudinal study, but you've got to cut your cloth. Uh, but even beyond that, we've become far, far more conscious of the necessity of relationships and communication strategies. And we now build a, a large amount of our project budgets are specifically on that area. We are not unusual in a think tank now in having hired someone specifically, uh, both as a head of comms, but also as a content creator, someone producing video and new media ways of, of selling what we're doing. And that's an in-house role. Uh, and that's becoming more and more common. And what it means in practice for our researchers is we expect them to be highly proficient in communicating their research. Uh, and in developing relationships and going out, we expect them, as part of their job, to attend one event every two weeks with other organizations and to harvest business cards and to build relationships. Uh, we expect them to produce at least one blog or written piece every three weeks um, because it's all about getting the message out there. We expect them not only to be able to produce good reports, good kind of long-form reads, but also to be able to distill that into much shorter forms very quickly. Uh, and whenever I've managed anyone with a PhD, that has been our biggest challenge, is getting you out of the attitude of writing really thorough, long, balanced pieces to 500 words. Um, and the challenge I would set you if you want to really uh, get at the communication impact thing is distill whatever you've written into 500 words. It's incredibly difficult. Um, it's still difficult for people who've been doing it for years. But that is the absolute maximum length you can expect anyone to read quickly. Um, and that's what we're about. If you were thinking of coming into this field, um, a few kind of pointers. It's a growing field. The number of think tanks mushrooms every year, both here and in Brussels and, uh, and everywhere else. It's a highly turbulent sector. Um, people and whole organizations come and go every year. Um, ones who were a huge deal 10 years ago don't exist. Other ones you've never heard of are suddenly getting meetings of uh, cabinet ministers. Um, it's a turbulent sector. 
the finances are turbulent. Uh, we do not have the luxury of big institutional backing, so a lot of my role is fundraising. That's with individuals, but also mostly it's for projects. It's going to charitable trusts and producing them an idea of a project and asking them to fund it. I have seven people that I manage. All of their salaries rest on me being able to keep the pipeline going. So at any time we're applying for projects, even as they're finishing the previous ones. Our hit rate's about 50%. So for anyone, for their next role, which might only be for six months, we need to be putting in two proposals for them. So roughly every three months a proposal goes off my desk um, for another project, which is fun. It also can be difficult. Uh, pay is not always high, um, certainly not compared to a nice professorial salary. I'm a child of two professors. Uh, but on the other hand, it does mean that there are always rapidly emerging opportunities, that there are constantly new projects. You will constantly be moved on to new things, uh, and that's exciting. And it does also mean that whilst organisations come and go, there is this kind of revolving door or kind of uh, network of people where people move around, and it doesn't preclude you from going back into academia or from going into the civil service or to go into the charity sector. In fact, that's kind of expected. And at six years... I've had quite a long run in think tanks uh, for a single run with one organisation. That's quite unusual unless you're managing it. Um, usually by that stage you'd have expected someone to go and do something else, maybe move back uh, and kind of switch around. And it can be exciting for that if that's something that you like. Um, it's not perhaps the, the steady basis that you might like otherwise. More than that, I think that the big sell, I would say, for, for our sector is that I think it's very unusual to be able to have a job which is all about a particular cause and to be able to apply your research skills to a cause that you really care about. Uh, and most think tanks are about causes. They're about presenting a particular vision and, and fighting for it in some way, as in fact with, I think, most um, charity sector research jobs as well. That's quite unusual to be able to have that opportunity, and, it, and the rewards in that I think are, are significant. And about uh, we just produced a big report which was looking at student unions, extremism, and free speech. And that's a difficult issue, but it's brilliant to get the calls from student unions saying, and from people in universities saying, we've read it, this is interesting, how can we design protocols, how can we design things to use this research practically? And that's great, and that's brilliant to be able to see something which you've actually written almost immediately, a biggie kind of taken on and going further. To finish very, very quickly, um, a few things that we'd be looking for if you wanted to come into the sector. The first is commitment. You need to be able to prove that you actually do care about what we're talking about, that's kind of step one, that's fairly basic. The second is any evidence you can provide us of an ability to communicate your research to anyone who isn't an academic. We always used to suggest, even in universities, that if they were hiring a professor that they had someone who was a complete non-expert on panels. I think a lot of universities do do that, but statisticians, I think you can always tell the best statisticians are the ones who can explain to historians how stats work, um, and that's exactly the sort of people that we want. We want someone who can break down a really complicated thesis and explain it to an idiot in a very short space of time. We want evidence of your flexibility, that you're prepared to bounce between projects, that it's okay to be juggling three completely different and totally unrelated research projects at one time. Um, if you can do that, we'd like to hear from you. And the last thing to say is uh, there are a lot of you out there, and I don't want to be too critical about that, but there are a lot of PhDs out there who come now to us to apply for internships and roles. And 
it's very easy for us to spot the ones where this is just a backup because really they want to be continuing to do their stuff on 17th century lead mining and we're a kind of outlet for them because they desperately need a job. That may be the case, but do learn to sell it a bit better um, in terms of actually not only showing your commitment to the cause, but showing some sort of commitment to research which goes beyond the thing you've been researching for three to four years. Because we don't really want someone who's very good at one thing for three to four years. We want someone who's very good at doing eight different things for three years. And that's the core of what our operation does. So that would be my kind of final piece of advice.